This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealow, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. Big week ahead, gentlemen. We've got the rookies reporting on Thursday for a mini camp this weekend. The veterans still in the building. It is now phase two of the offseason strength and conditioning program. But the major storyline is something that the gentleman to my right, Mr. Paul Calvisi, a.k.a. sideline reporter, is anxious to know how many bad weather trips are there in store for the Cardinals in 2023 as we have the regular season schedule release officially announced Thursday at 5 p.m. There's a lot of potential here, Craig. There's a lot. (laughs) Oh, yes, there is. A lot of potential landmines when you're at Chicago, you're at Cleveland, you're at Philly, Pittsburgh, even Washington, right? So, okay, um, let's see. Let's see what the schedule gods have in mind for the road trips this year. Eight home games, nine road trips. We'll see where the bye week is, how many primetime games there might be. But for you, Kyle, as a player, obviously things have changed a lot. This has become a major event in the offseason. I guess it was not when you were playing, but did you pay attention to the schedule or just cared, hey, tell me where we are week one? Yeah, it's a little of both. Um, obviously, you want to know who you play first. You want to start to gear up for that, get an idea of what you're uh, preparing for. Um, really, you know, I took a close look at the the first quarter of the season because everything after that is kind of a blur anyways. Um, but, you know, the, the, the longer I was in the league, actually – I preferred, you know, 1 p.m. kickoff every Sunday. You, you just uh, you thrive with routine, right? You don't want, you know, a Sunday night and then a Thursday night and then just be all over the place or, or even international games. You just, for me, uh, you know, year six, seven, eight, nine, you just want to get into your routine so that you can perform. Um, now it's different for other players. You know, that some players perform much better in those primetime games with the bright lights in front of a national audience. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, guys look at a number of things, but I think the biggest thing for this team is, you know, who do we start with and what does our stretch look like with Kyler Murray potentially out of the lineup? Um, because that will be a big factor early on to try to get a few wins without Kyler Murray. In fact, that being said, I, I really do hope that we see the Atlantas and the Washingtons and the Houstons the first half of the season. So you get some of those marquee QB matchups the second half of the season. Kyler and Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's great stuff. It it really is. You go back to the rookie year, week two, Kyler's rookie year at Baltimore, just the athleticism at the quarterback position between Lamar and Kyler. You want to see Kyler against the Dallas Cowboys and the whole Texas connection. So I hope some of the the lesser matchups, those opponents, the nondescript opponents, right, the non-marquee teams are in the first half of the schedule because hopefully we'll see Kyler and company against those other teams the back half. By the way, the 11th toughest schedule based off of records from a year 
year ago, the Cardinals will play nine games against playoff opponents, and they'll see three of the four teams that advance to their conference championship games. But again, that will be announced on Thursday. The matter at hand, though, has been a couple of weeks, and we have not had a chance to hear Kyle's thoughts on sixth overall draft pick, the offensive lineman out of Ohio State, Paris Johnson Jr., and that would be the selection after the Cardinals, Kyle, went from three to 12, back up to six. Got their offensive lineman, got a haul in return as far as future picks for 2024, but the addition of an offensive lineman to this roster. I think it's great. You know, we talked about going into this draft, we just need to check boxes. We need to have that box, find, be able to check a box for a number of seasons, particularly with the the instability with this roster. And, and you know, you got this, you got a new staff, but most of our, our veteran free agents that we signed are on one or two year contracts. So you want some of that stability. So moving forward with this coaching, staff in this front office, you could start to say, okay, we've got this spot locked down. Well, this is a guy that regardless of where he is his rookie year, he can pencil him into the starting lineup. Um, you know, he whether it be a guard or whether it be a tackle, he is tremendously talented, tremendously athletic, and um, you know, a common theme with all the draft picks is he's he loves football. He's got tremendous football IQ and will be a good leader in this locker room. Now it's it's tough to be a leader, you know, when you come in as a rookie, but he will mature into that spot and will be a guy that this team leans on for years to come. Graduate in three years, a degree in journalism. Speaking of journalism, Steve Weiss, chief national reporter for the NFL Network, a guest recently on the Big Red Rage. His thoughts on the Paris Johnson Jr. selection. To be able to trade back, trade up, still get Paris Johnson at six, I mean, that was huge. I mean, we know that they have not really addressed the offensive line in years there. And to get one of the best offensive linemen in this draft, someone Kyler Murray liked, Paris is a, is, is a man now. <laughs> that's yeah. a big. That's a big slice of dude. Question now, though, Paul is as Kyle pointed out, he can play both the left side, right side. We don't know where he'll begin his career, and we may not know that until the starts of off-season work when the veterans are here at the end of May and into June because the rookie minicamp, you might not have enough bodies to form a full five-man offensive front. I mean, you could, honestly, I could see him in at least three spots. I could see him as a starting left guard since that is a need, probably the biggest hole along with center right now. I can see him as a starting right guard, and you can move Will Hernandez to left guard because two years ago he started all 13 games at right guard and Will Hernandez has much more experience at left guard in his career I could see them kicking him out to right tackle and competing with Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin Beecham can play left tackle, he can obviously play right tackle, he's played interior line he could be your swing guy so I mean if you decide you know what he's going to be an automatic starter on day one and he is a tackle then I'm guessing he's opposite DJ Humphreys, at least to start his career with DJ under long-term contract. So, yeah, that, that's really an intriguing question. Where are they going to start him? Where are they going to play him? Because, you know what, when they open week one, he's going to be a starting offensive lineman. I, I, that, I, I think, you can rest assured. Certainly don't want to assume anything, but the fact that he did, talking about Paris Johnson Jr., play both sides of the line of scrimmage in college. My guess, Kyle, would be that the transition, wherever he begins, would be easier as opposed to someone who's coming in, i.e. a Josh Jones a few years ago, where you were strictly a left tackle on the left side, and then you try your work on the right side, and it just doesn't mesh real well. It takes a little bit more of an adjustment. I don't know if 
Paris will have that kind of an adjustment. No, and not only did he play multiple positions in college, he played at an extremely high level. So you know, he he you can plug him in anywhere across the offensive line, with the exception of center. Now, just with his his ability, right? He is a tremendous athlete, and he is he is a prototype left tackle with his athleticism, his ability to stay with speed, nifty crafty pass rushers. I think that's where he will land eventually. Um, but it just remains when what that timeline looks like or how they want to use him early on. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, they're going to experiment with him early. Um, you know, you depending on where he's at, you can you can cover up some deficiencies or, or some rawness when you when you put a young player at the guard position. Um, or, you know, you could move him to right tackle where you're not always seeing you know the 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 best pass rushers in a week in and a week out basis. So um, it, it'll just be interesting to see where he's at and where they feel like he can step in and not be overwhelmed, particularly early in his rookie season. So those are our thoughts. What about the thoughts of the head coach Jonathan Gannon on where Paris might play? He's obviously played outside and inside. You know, we just got to get him on the grass and see where he kind of fits in with the other guys. Um, I'm very comfortable, you know, what he's put on tape of playing a lot of different spots on that offensive line. So we'll put the best guys out there and and, uh, hopefully move people in the run game and keep the quarterback upright in the pass game. Paris would not be the first offensive lineman coming in his first year to play a different position than he did in college. All I could do, Paul, is look at the all-pro team from this past season. Right tackle Lane Johnson played right tackle as a junior, a left tackle as a senior at Oklahoma. Zach Martin, a right guard, four-year starter at left tackle Mm. at Notre Dame. So it can be done. It has been done. Look, you, you go back to big Leonard Davis, right back in, and he obviously got kicked out from interior line, even though he's a tackle in college, interior line to start. Denny Green said, "You're making too much money. You got to be a left tackle." He was never quite comfortable, as capable as he was as an interior lineman. Went to the Cowboys, and he's a three-time Pro Bowler as a guard. So you got to find where he excels, and and then just go from there. What I do know is, based on early returns, he has the mindset Jonathan Gannon is looking for because we asked him how he describe his own game, what he's like on game day, and his first word was violent. So either he was talking to Jonathan Gannon and he's already parrying the head coach, or that's a perfect match and you can understand why they connected during the top 30 visit. Certainly sounds like, Kyle, it's one of those the where you say, like, where's that aggressiveness? And it's easier to say, pull the reins back a little bit as, a fo- as opposed to trying to figure out, do you have what it takes to be mean on that line of scrimmage and it certainly sounds like it that Paris has no problem as far as getting in someone's face and knocking the other player all the way to the ground as he said to the echo maybe even beyond the whistle yeah I loved hearing him talk you guys interviewed him last week on this show um yeah you just asked a simple question about his pregame routine and it was exhaustive what he does the way he fills out a sheet of paper about you know how he's going to be a warrior and a beast and and be a dominant and then he reads over it and he goes through this whole pregame process I mean he is you look he is a rookie he may be a bit raw but man he's got his stuff together for a young kid I mean for for somebody and you know I was reading through some of his draft profile about how seriously he takes his nutrition look I know very few offensive linemen that take nutrition seriously. They typically eat whatever they want and just go out there and play anyways. But this kid, 
Um, you know, he is a true pro, even though he's never been a pro. He he handles himself like a true pro already. He doesn't. He's not coming in trying to learn the ropes about what does it take to be a professional football player. It seems like he's got a lot in his corner already and a good base of knowledge. And and so, you know, you can expect good things from him early on. And don't forget, it wasn't just Paris that the Cardinals acquired in those draft dealings. They also gained a first-round selection, a third-round selection from the Texans next season. So right now you're looking at 10 draft picks plus a projected comp pick in the fourth round, 11. 11 total picks in 2024. Steve Weish last week on the Big Red Rage on what Monty Austinfort was able to do for next year. They got some good guys this year to help lay a foundation. And then for next year, they really got some, some incredible draft equity to do whatever it is they need to do to get to move up high in the draft, to possibly move back, and to get some more young players. So they've got like just a two-year foundation of incredible talent. Six picks in the first three rounds next season, Paul. And depending on what you read, what you hear, next year's draft class, and depending on where the Cardinals fall within that range, Houston Texans, depending on how they look on the football field, those picks, six, maybe in the top 70, 75 of next year's draft. It's already a draft that's considered stronger than the 23 draft. That's what the early consensus is among a lot of the draft experts and the analysts. There's already mock drafts out there, and I mention this because there's two prominent mock drafts out there, and we're going to hear this storyline and this narrative for the next seven or eight months. The Cardinals and Houston Texans might end up 1-2 in this draft, which means the Cardinals end up 1-2 in the draft. So you'll see players like Caleb Williams and Drake May and then Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay, there are some true franchise-changing players, and whether the Cardinals take them or not, you can cash in that pick because you know there will be a team that will pay dearly to come up. So, yeah, it's very intriguing. And I think, honestly, I think what the experts think of Monty Ford's first draft effort will only continue to gain steam and more accolades. And he'll get more credit as you begin to realize what exactly he was able to fleece from Houston in return for them coming up all the way to number three. Two first-round picks, a pick in the second round, three in the third round, two in the fourth, two in the fifth, one in the seventh. That's what the Cardinals have in 2023. But that's, excuse me, 2024. That's a year down the road. How about the draft class here this year, 2023? Who do we want to see on that football field this weekend? First time this rookie draft class and the undrafted free agents will be in the building on the football field. Life in the National Football League begins. What do we want to see out of those picks that the Cardinals acquired not too long ago? By the way, brought up Cardinals General Manager Monty Austinfort. He is the guest on the latest episode of the Day Pass podcast. It's available now via your preferred podcast provider. Get the latest updates via Twitter at HashPod. This is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. feel really good about how he came out of the draft with the nine draft picks and the ten free agents. That was my first time sitting in a room uh, the entire time, and not going to lie, I was a little nervous uh, when we're on the clock with like two minutes left, and he had three teams that he was talking to, so uh, it was really cool to see that. The he that head coach Jonathan Gannon referring to there, general manager Monty Austin Ford, who worked the phones 
on the clock with the third overall selection and in a matter of literally minutes left. I think two minutes left on the clock. That first trade was made and then the Cardinals went from 12 to 6. Land Paris Johnson Jr. It was fun to watch from afar. Anxious to see what it looks like flight plan episode coming up to kind of detail the inner workings of the draft room because it can get hectic in there, Paul. Although, neither one of us has ever been in there. I just see this closed door that says, in use, which means don't come in. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I I just have to rely on all the reports and all the quotes. Monty Austin Ford afterwards saying it was intense. Yeah, I bet. You're going from 3 to 12 and back up to 6, and you're a rookie GM. Now, you know what? If you're thinking, okay, big picture, this draft class 2023, you know what your objective is as a young man coming in with the first crop of Maniasevort is to try and produce as a rookie player like your rookie GM did. Trying to have as much success as he did on draft day in your career, starting with this rookie mini camp and then trying to put some pressure on some veterans. Look, this roster is wide open at so many different positions. So there's so many guys, Craig, we can look at in this draft class and realistically project they will contend for playing time right out of the gate. Nine draft picks, four on offense, five on defense. And I think many of the defensive players selected, including in the third round when the Cardinals excuse me, in the second round, 41st overall when the Cardinals landed, landed an edge rusher out of LSU, B.J. Ojolari, certainly the biggest need for this team. And there is a need because you don't have much, you don't have much either veteran leadership at that spot, Kyle, or production at that spot based off of last year's lack of production. Yeah, we talked about coming into this draft, um, you know, one of the needs was corner, but it, it doesn't do you any good to pick a corner early if you can't get pressure on the quarterback. We need to find that guy that we can count on to be the closer on third down, the guy that can be a closer at the end of a game when it, the other team is trying to march down the field and, and get points on the board. And he appears to be that. I mean, he is – look, I, I mean, I don't know how he was available where he where we got him. Um, you know, he's his sack numbers in college are not crazy, but his – his pressures. I mean, he's had the most pressures since 2020, uh, outside of Will Anderson Jr., who everybody you know was the the consensus, the dude, the defensive line guy that everybody wanted, and so he has that ability. He's he's quick. He's explosive. Um, he he can bend. He's got a, a number of pass rush moves, and and I think he plays the run better than he gets credit for. So I think, you know, while it's difficult to project where he'll be early this season, he will be a fixture on this defensive line, certainly by midseason once he gets a few games under his belt. Um, And, you know, I'm just excited to see how he does against NFL-type talent because he really is that explosive-type player that can get the job done. And there's an opportunity there, Paul. You look at what the Cardinals have on the roster at outside linebacker slash edge. Cameron Thomas, my Jay Sanders, Dennis Gardeck, Victor Dumukeji, Jesse Lucetta. Not household names outside of Dennis Gardeck, but he might be seeing more special teams action than pass rush action this season. And you got two guys in Thomas and Sanders who are going into their second year in the league. You know, Cam Thomas, where does he ultimately project? We had him on the Big Red Rage. He said he had a body scan, and they say he could easily get to 300 pounds and still be an effective player. So is he eventually going to be a five technique? We'll see. He's up to 270 of really good weight, and he says he's moving really well, Cam Thomas. But what the Cardinals don't have at that outside edge position is a player the other team has to account for. 
that the offensive coordinator starts his game planning every week and says, we got to neutralize this guy. We got to double team and or chip this guy. The Cardinals don't have that yet. There's a reason they moved Zayvon Collins out there. There's a need. And so, okay, he has the body type. Does he have that skill set to excel on the edge? Is that going to be his ultimate future with this team? We'll find out. But they need to get to the quarterback, and we'll see if B.J. Ojolari is going to be that guy. To Kyle's point, I think what kept him out of the first round were these perceived weaknesses against the run. Is that reality? Does he need work? Is he going to be a liability against the run? Can he set the edge? We'll find out. Well, new defensive coordinator Nick Nick Rollis spoke very highly of B.J. when Rollis addressed the media post-draft. I love what Ojolari can do in the pass and run game. Uh, I think he's a very natural pass rusher. You can see his bend coming off the edge with speed. He can beat you with speed. He's very fluid and natural with his counter rushes. And then on top of that, he can stick a long arm in there and work moves off his long arm. So as far as his rush ability, very versatile, very natural. And then I love the tools that he has in the run game. You look at what else this Cardinals team did in the draft with respect to the defense. They did land two cornerbacks, Garrett Williams and Keetrell Clark, although Williams is coming off an ACL. When will he be available? And Clark is a sixth-round selection, not with great size. I'm looking at the inside linebacker, Owen Papo, and defensive tackle Dante Stills, fifth-round, sixth-round, respectively, Paul, just because of the need at those positions, you brought up Zayvon Collins. We saw him working with outside linebackers. Is Isaiah Simmons going to stay as an inside linebacker or remain in the secondary? Papo might be one of those guys that Gannon and Rollis say, hey, this could be our interior on that linebacker group that we like long term. So Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, they took some six foot eight tight end in round seven. He had all these crazy measurables. He had like a 40-inch vertical at 6'8". He used to be a state champion hurdler. And Robert Sella said, you know what, there's an old saying in the war room that on the final round of the draft or late in day three, quote, always take the freak who loves ball. That's Owen Papo. Is it not? I mean, his Twitter handle is at the freak. You look at all his measurables, you look at the speed, the 4-3-9, you look at everything he's able to do at that inside linebacker position. Zayvon Collins has moved outside. Where is Isaiah Simmons? So what is that inside linebacker spot going to look like? And if he can fly around sideline to sideline, you know, even the kid out of ASU, Kyle Sole, uh, you know, hey, look, he was very productive. He had a lot of starts. And guess what? His old position coach is on this Cardinal staff and Rob Rodriguez. I mean, I know he's a, he's a complete long shot but once again I think there's going to be an opportunity for some of these kids to come in and make an impression right away Papo 41 career starts last year Kyle led the team in tackles with 93 told the media he can also play a little bit outside maybe even line up as a slot corner at times but six feet 225 how about we just focus on one spot and moving sideline to sideline because of that 439 speed yeah, and you know I ran across this stat. He's he has the fastest linebacker forty tied for the fastest linebacker forty since two thousand three tied with Isaiah Simmons. Mm. I mean, so you've got two of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. I mean, that's that's twenty years of linebackers running at the combine. So um, you, you know that's one thing you can't coach. You you can't coach speed. And um, when you have a, a particularly like 
Paulie was talking about, you have the guy in the middle of the field that he has the ability to get from sideline to sideline. That is a tremendous asset. And, you know, if he needs time, he's a plug-and-play special teams guy because of the way he plays. And and to Paulie's point, up and down these players that we drafted and even the undrafted rookies coming in, the, the one quality they have is they love football. Um, you know, we were talking about off the air. You know, I coach at high school and, and recruiters, uh, college scouts are coming through. And I spoke to one yesterday. And the first question he asked as he went down the list of players, does he love football? Does he love football? Does he love football? Because you're not left wondering. You can take this freak that takes plays off, that has up and down games, and you're always left wondering. You don't know what you have on Sunday when you are going out on the football field, but when you have guys that are gritty, that are tough, that love football and love the process, you know what you have, and you can be confident every game and every practice you're going to get their best, and that's what I see. That's the common characteristic of of this draft class is just their love for the game and their football IQ. Another draft pick to highlight, day three selection, Dante Stills. I mentioned him, defensive tackle. If for no other reason, Paul, just because of the need for that interior pressure. Rashard Lawrence, Lucky Foe, too Manny Jones. Yeah, you have LJ Collier, but you're taking a flyer on him. You really don't have someone there that you, at least for me, feel confident about. I mean, think about it. Dante Stills played in 58 games in his college career at West Virginia. Two-time first-team All-Big 12. He has the size of 6'3 and a half, almost 290. He's played up and down the line. He says he's going to fit best at a three-tech or a five-technique. But yeah, he can come in. He can absolutely get into rotation. There's a reason they gave the undrafted Jacob Slade out of Michigan State 200 grand guaranteed because that is a position of need. Dante Stills telling the media, I'm a total package. We will see. Rookies here later this week on the field on Friday. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Nasty is as nasty does, and we all know that Kyler Murray is nasty. The stuff you see in dreams and in video games. Yeah, we're going to have a great relationship. You know, he's he's a direct reflection of me. The vision that we have for him is is to maximize his skill set. You say, well, that's kind of general. No, it's not. He can throw it over your head. He can beat you on the first, second, third level throwing it, and he can beat you on the first, second, third level running it a dual threat, but when will we see that dual threat on the field in 2023? That is the big question. As we say welcome back, it is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats, Craig Rio, Lukav Anabosh, and Paul Calvisi. The voice you heard, head coach Jonathan Gannon, an interview that, Paul, you did moments after Gannon was introduced to the media. Big Red Rage was the show, and that was a soundbite that really stuck out to me because it immediately sets the foundation between relationship between head coach and QB1. And there are a couple of things about that soundbite. First off, to me, I think that was the defensive coordinator and Jonathan Gannon coming out. Just the sleepless nights when you're playing a dual threat quarterback like Kyla Murray. Not just a guy who's able to run it, but a guy who's potentially faster than anybody you have playing defense. That's the sort of sleepless nights you will get going against the Lamar Jacksons and Kyla Murrays of the world. And then... 
I think you heard a guy who realizes the importance of that connection, that the quarterback is an extension of him out on the field, that the quarterback must be that leader. What Kelvin Beecham said this offseason about the need to mature, that all plays into this, that Kyler Murray isn't just the quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. He is the heartbeat of the team, both on the sideline and in the huddle. So, yes, that for this thing to work, the head coach and the quarterback, one plus one must equal three. We have not seen, we have not heard from Kyler Murray. We have seen him briefly. He was out on the field off on the side during the extra mini camp that the veterans had because you've got a first-year head coach. We've seen Kyler Murray and Hollywood Brown out and about at a recent Phoenix Suns playoff game. So, yeah, Kyler Murray won. Most importantly, Kyle, he's in town. Number two, he's in this building working out, rehabbing. He's four months post-surgery. Question, though, we want to know, and we're not going to get an answer, nothing definitive, is, okay, is it four months from now? Is it five months from now? Six months from now? When do we see number one on the football field? Well, to answer that, uh, nobody knows right now. I mean, it's still too early because no ACL rehab is ever linear. You're going to have, you know, you might stack – back-to-back great days and then you have a little bit of a setback or you have some soreness or you get some swelling and so you know you hope that everything is progressing well uh, but you just never know and you know we were just talking about Chase Young off the air and look his ACL he's still having problems with that so it's we just don't know but the thing I love is by all accounts um, this offseason is different than others. It, you know, it, take the knee injury out of it. Kyler Murray is first in, last out. I mean, he is here. He is in the building. He is invested. And you know why that is? It's because at the introductory press conference, the head coach said, I took this job because of him. It's because several members, including the head coach and the GM and the offensive coordinator, went out to Kyler Murray's statue unveiling. It's because of the belief in him. It's because they – you know, I don't know if it was the reason that they took Paris Johnson Jr., but Kyler Murray wanted him. And you're showing your support for the quarterback. And to Paulie's point, look, your quarterback does need to be the leader. But I get the feeling that Jonathan Gannon is like that with all of his players. And we talked about this before. Like, as a player, you don't ever want to feel like you're just a means to a coach's end. You want to feel like the coach does care about me as a person, wants the best for me, and wants to put me in the best position to succeed. And so it, it you it's apparent that that applies to Kyler Murray, but I get the impression that every player on this roster will have a good relationship with this coaching staff. It's almost, Paul, like a clean slate, front office, coaching staff, with the quarterback and whatever has happened in the past, that's in the past. Let's move forward. This is year one. This is day one. For Kyler Murray. Yet they have the benefit of the last four years and learning what did and did not work with Kyler Murray. That's the competitive advantage this new staff has. And if you read between the lines, this is just me surmising, but between Michael Bidwell and the Dave Pash podcast, between Drew Petzing talking to the media, between Jonathan Gannon, what he said to Peter King shortly after, talk about putting Kyler under center more, but also simplifying things for the still young quarterback that maybe there was a little too much on his plate the last couple of years. Maybe too many decisions to be made once they broke the huddle or didn't even huddle at all. And it was responsible for him to read that defense, get everyone set, even get the pass protection set, especially minus a Rodney Hudson. Then maybe there was just too much, and they're going to try and simplify it for a Kyla Murray. And you know what? And maybe restart that learning curve 
all over again for Kyler. And if he can simplify things, then guess what? He's going to play faster. And when you get Kyler out in space and he's playing fast and he's thinking fast, look out because there isn't a faster quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, his reaction is undeniable as far as what he can do from step one to step two. When will we see those steps? Well, right now his steps are in the rehab process. January 3rd was the surgery. General Manager Monty Austin Ford on the Day Patch podcast where Kyler Murray is in that progress. Kyler's here every day. Kyler's grinding. He's working hard. He's getting better. He's improving every day. I don't have a timeline. I don't have an update on that. We're going to put him out there when he's ready. He's doing everything he can now. He's in meetings. He's learning. He's trying to take in the new offense and, and doing what he can on that front. Um, he just can't be out on the field right now, and he's, he's just physically not ready to do that. I know he's doing everything he can, and when he's ready, we'll get him out there, and we're excited to get him back out there. In the meantime, This team will need a quarterback. Colt McCoy is your veteran in that room, although he did not, he was not spotted throwing the football during that voluntary veteran minicamp. Whereas he, after he was banged up late last season and dealing with an undisclosed injury, according to owner Michael Bidwell. So you bring back David Blau, you add Jeff Driscoll, you bring in or you draft Clayton Toon, someone who's a little bit taller, maybe. Maybe sneaky athletic based off the mobility that he was able to show in Houston. So you've got four guys in there and maybe three if you don't count Colt right now, Paul, that can say, all right, well, we're going to get through the offseason, training camp, preseason. And then then there's going to be a battle if Kyler is not ready week one to see who is going to be that week one starter. And look, you have the self-proclaimed best quarterback in the class, which is Clayton Toon. So that'll get us through training camp and some of the preseason games. So I am looking forward to see the rookie out of Houston. I guess here's my question, because ultimately this all comes back to a Kyler Murray. And Kyle Vandenbosch is a guy who's been there and done that from the torn ACL. Once he's physically ready, how much more of a mountain is there to climb with the mental challenge, especially for a guy who's dealing with his first rehab ever? It really, his first ever season-ending injury of any sort, what do you think the mental challenge is going to be for Kyler? It's there. Um, look, it's tough. Uh, I played the next year after my first ACL injury, but you know, you just do things subconsciously. Like when there's people falling around your legs, you back up. You, you see yourself not doing the things that you typically would do until one day it just clicks and you don't you know I remember I can remember vividly um, it, it always hurt to go downstairs and then one morning I woke up and went down the stairs and didn't feel anything and I was like wow that was different and it's like that on the football field as well like you it's always kind of in the back of your mind like you know if I make this cut will I be okay if somebody falls on my legs am I going to be okay until it isn't until you're like, oh, now I remember. Now this is the old me. I'm back. And so it's, it's, it's really hard to say. Again, um, every player is wired differently. Every knee uh, ACL recovery is a little bit different. But to me, that will be the last hurdle. And it, it remains to be seen whether Kyler can get over that hurdle this season or he will still be a little bit ginger, a little bit tentative for the rest of this season. And then with an offseason, you forget about the ACL injury. So, um, you know, it is it, it is a factor, though, because I remember, I mean, I was fine. I was running fine. I was in good shape. My knee felt great. It was strong, but I wasn't quite the same as I was prior to my injury. And it, and it took some time. You called it the last hurdle. The biggest hurdle, though, that mental block, if you will, if there is one to kind of 
climb over and say, all right, I'm back. I think so. I, I think, well, it's just the last one. I mean, it's it's boom, I'm, here I am, I'm back. So I, I think it is the, the biggest hurdle is just that mental part of it. And with him, with his mobility and, and the, the way he's able to put his foot in the ground and make a cut on a dime, because that's how he was injured, you know, that's that's going to be in the back of his mind every time he breaks out of the pocket for, you know, for a period of time. It's going to be an ongoing storyline all off season. You get to the regular season. By the way, the regular season schedule released on Thursday, 5 o'clock. Go to azcardinals.com for all the information. And if you want tickets, azcardinals.com slash tickets to see the likes of the Cowboys, Ravens, Bengals, Falcons, and Giants, and, of course, the NFC West as well. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Dalton straight drop back, throws over the middle, and a one-handed interception by Isaiah Simmons in midfield. Runs it back to the left of the 40, at the 30, at the 25, at the 20, and Simmons in! Talked to Isaiah a lot. Um, really comfortable with where we're at with him. Um, he's very comfortable with it. You know, the option or whatever, you know, he, it doesn't change how he goes about what he's doing. And um, he knows he has to play well for us and for him. And that's like everybody. It was a big question of the offseason and now a question that was answered. And that is what the Cardinals were going to do with respects to Isaiah Simmons's fifth year option. An option that was upwards of $13 million guaranteed for 2024. That option declined, and now Simmons, going into the last year of his contract, doesn't mean he can't re-sign, but the Cardinals, you heard Jonathan Gannon, wants to see a little bit more from what Simmons can do within this defense, and I think that's the biggest key. Where does Simmons fit within this defense? As we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And yeah, Kyle, you look at the... You look at the versatility of an Isaiah Simmons. He can play in the secondary. He can play up near the line of scrimmage. He can rush the quarterback. But within this defense, we really don't know what Nick Rawls wants to do. We have an idea, but what does he want to do, and then how does Simmons fit within that scheme? Yeah, it's uh, you know it's not surprising that they didn't pick up the option. I mean, on top of you've got a whole new scheme. You don't know where he's going to fit. You don't know how he's going to adapt, how quickly he's going to learn. Um, look, He's got all the measurables. I mean, he's a phenomenal athlete. He he has shown that he has the ability and a knack for making big plays. He he has the ability to play physical. He can he can cover wideouts. He can do just about anything. But you know, the thing we've seen throughout his career is you know something I talked about in a previous segment was just his consistency. And and is it you know because he'll have a great game and then he will have a game where he has one tackle and it's just the up and the down and is that because he was moved around so much and never had a spot that he could just hone in on and perfect or is it because of the way he's wired and I think that this staff and this front office doesn't necessarily know the answer to that and until you put him in a position that he could say, this is my position, this is what I'm looking at, this is the the plays that I have to master and, and the spot I, and the techniques I have to master. Until you give that to him and see how he does, I don't know that you can make a definitive decision on his future. Well, I think Simmons controls his own future based off his field of play. I mean, Paul, if he, if he goes off this season and lights it up, then yeah, whether it's the Cardinals or someone else, he'll get that contract he'll get that 13 million dollars per year but it's on his shoulders and no one else's 
You know, Kyle, last week with Drew Stan, I, I called Isaiah Simmons the NFL's inkblot test. You look at him, what do you see? The previous coaching staff saw different things. They saw five or six different positions in a single season. They initially saw him in the inside linebacker room. Last offseason, they moved him into the safety room. He was with that position group. There were coaches that I would talk to last year and said, you know what, I see him as a bigger, more athletic Cam Chancellor Adrian Wilson, that's what we're going to do with him. That didn't quite materialize, although he did play that position at times. So where does he fit best? And I think until you get an answer to that question, you're not going to get an answer to his football future, which is a driving reason why he didn't have his option picked up. Now, I know the 2020 draft class easily set the mark for fewest fifth-year options picked up ever. I get it, and he was one of those. But once again, by the process of elimination, if Zayvon Collins has already been moved out of the linebacker spot, does that put Isaiah Simmons back with the inside backers? They've signed a lot of guys in the offseason. They also drafted Owen Papo. So wait a minute, they didn't add to the safety room. Not really. So is he still with the safeties? We don't know because we haven't seen him out there during a media open session to verify with their own eyes. Well, one person does know. That would be defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. Asked about Simmons' role this upcoming season. Here's what Rollis I think had to number say. one is you get really good at one thing and you keep building off of that. Again, Isaiah, he's picking up everything that we're installing extremely fast, which gets you really excited to say, okay, let's keep adding, let's keep adding, let's keep adding because the skill set, versatile, the intelligence, high, be able to do a lot of different things with one guy to bring out all those different skills that he has. Okay, so he said you start with one thing. Yes. What is it? <laughs> Kyle Vandenbosch? step up to the mic you're a high school coach you played in this league for over a dozen years you've gone to pro bowls where do you start if you're nick rowless what is the one thing that he does well or at least the one thing that is the starting position for isaiah simmons Again, going back to what we talked about earlier, he's got that sideline to sideline speed. He's rangy. He's long. I I think you put him back, you know, at inside linebacker. I think he, you know, just looking at him, it, you don't necessarily see him as a physical player, but we've seen him light some dudes yeah. up on the football field. He can play inside the tackle box and he can play sideline to sideline. And I think that's what, to me, that's where I would put him. I mean, I, I, I think he loves the physicality of the sport. I think he loves to stick his face in there. And so, you know, he wants to be a part of the action. And quite frankly, you know, I know he has the ability to cover. Um, wide receivers to be out there and to play in space. You know, he showed um, some deficiencies there last year. There was times where he looked confused in in some of the route concepts and, and in his coverage and, and dropped coverage. So um, I think you take some of that off of his plate, even though he has shown he has the ability to do it, it might not be his forte. I think he's he's a football player. I think you put him inside the box, let him make tackles, and let him just roam sideline to sideline. At six foot four, two thirty eight, yeah, you could put him anywhere outside of the defensive line because he has those measurables, the skill set, just a matter of, okay, what can you handle? We know, Paul, he's very, very productive. 99 tackles, four sacks, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and seven passes defense. That was a year ago playing all 17 games. But to what we heard from Nick Rollis, all right, let's kind of simplify things. Going back to our conversation with Kyler Murray, let's take things off your plate and we can always add to it but let's figure out what you do best and then work on that you know Vance Joseph said upon his arrival that Isaiah Simmons was drafted to cover the tight end 
Yet, when you saw him against Kelsey and George Kittle, some of the elite tight ends, yeah, to Kyle's point, he did struggle downfield keeping up with those guys, you know, with their advanced route running. You know, and then towards the end of last year, Vance Joseph made a revealing comment that he said, you know, Isaiah Simmons really is better in space. So is he suited to play in the front seven? Maybe he's a little more protected at Will Backer, and you can get some a stout defensive line keeping those guards off him a little bit. Then okay, he does have the ability to go sideline to sideline and, and chase down guys in space, especially against some of these spread offenses. But it's still unknown. Nick Rowless, Jonathan Gannon aren't giving any definitive answers how or where they're going to use him. And I think still they don't quite know. There, there's an idea of what they want to do with him now, and we hear it all the time. Well, we need to see them on the grass and it's become almost cliche with this coaching staff even though they're brand new Kyle but in an essence it's true because what looks good what they think looks good in their head or you draw it up all right well can Simmons do it can these players do what we think they're capable of doing yeah and at this point it's a lot of projecting right because I mean he was like you talked about he was in the safety room last year so if you move him back inside the box he's got to kind of relearn that whole position all again and and I just want to say Look, this is not a knock on Kyler Murray or Isaiah Simmons when we talk about simplifying their roles. That's football coaching 101. Just don't overload any player with too much information, too much responsibility, and then you just let them go. These are premier athletes. You want them to play fast, not hesitate, and and not be thinking out on the football field. You just want them to do what they do, and that's go out there, execute, and make plays. Well, what we do every Tuesday is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Special thanks behind the scenes. Our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, technical director, Lauren Koval. For Kyle Vandenbosch, Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Rioli. We'll talk to you in one week's time here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.